So as we all file in, find your worship guides, or you can find your scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 3. Remain standing for the authority of scripture. So you're not caught off guard. Yeah, what is in bold in your worship guide is what we will say together on this Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to read just a little bit more uh, than what is in your worship guide, um, just to give us a little more context. So this is the Lord's uh, word starting in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, and following to what is in your worship guide this morning. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Chapter three, verse 13 or 18 says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. It has been a good morning so far. Amen. Amen. I've got to confess some things early on uh, because it's Easter and it's just good to start with confession. Um, I have not watched the classic movies that I should have watched. I'm 44, I grew up as an 80s and a 90s kid, and I have to confess that I've never watched this series of movies. I haven't. I mean, I know that at some point he says, Adrian, but I don't know if he's hitting somebody, dying. I don't, I don't know, that's just what I, I have not seen these. Um, I also know that he has a whip and a big stone rolls after him, right? But I don't, I don't know, I don't know this. Um, I also know that there's a monkey somewhere in these movies. You know, growing up uh, outside of Atlanta, TBS was always running. So I've seen scenes, I've just not sat here. Um, I have never watched this. Until COVID, I did watch this one time during COVID. Um, I liked the, the blazing tire marks. That was, that was good. And I think the watchtower was a cool effect. So there, there's that. Um, and I've, I've never watched um, these. You see, um, now, now you, I guess you have. I guess y'all have seen these movies. And you like them, I guess. Um, so well, we love stories, right? Even though I haven't watched these, I have watched some things like romantic comedies because Nicole makes me. Um, we love stories. We love the ones where the good guy or the good gal wins, right? And the evil one is defeated because life or stories in our lives are so very essential to who we are. I mean, we find ourselves inside the character, inside the story, and it makes a lot. Uh, means a lot to us. Uh, Mr. K's is still open. Amazon is still doing fine. You are all subscribed to 15 different subscription services for one reason. You love stories, and so do I. We love it when the good guy wins and the bad one loses. 
Because deep inside of all of these stories, there's this inkling of this idea of what a hero is or is not. You may have a hero on this screen. I don't know that for sure. But uh, heroes exist both in the pretend world and the real one. And so you may be a Superman kind of person or a She-Ra kind of lady. I don't, I don't know that. Uh, you may love military or presidential biographies. You may just love your grandmother or your grandfather. I don't know who the kind of the hero would be, but heroes are in our lives for a reason because they mean so very much. If you're new here to Redstone Church, uh, welcome. So glad that you're here. Uh, we've been journeying through 1 Peter, and we have been waiting for 1 Peter 3.18. We've been waiting for Easter. Here's what you need to know about 1 Peter in this book. You see Jesus Christ over and over and over as the suffering servant. He is the one who is in meekness and in humility laying down his life for others. He is the example in 2.21. He is the example of how you and I should suffer well. All of these examples of, tr- of Jesus are true and right and good. He is the suffering service, servant. He does come alongside us with meekness and humility. And yet in verse, or chapter 3, verse 18, it changes. This, uh, in this passage, we see Jesus as triumphant. We see him defeating the grave. We see him full of victory and hope and lives. Jesus Christ is our victor because in, something happens on Easter morning. He defeats something. He demands something else. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ is the hero of our story. I don't know why you gathered here this morning. I'm not sure whether you got drug here, right? Or you just think that it's important to be somewhere on Easter. But the reason we're making such a big deal is that that branch was dead on Friday night for our Good Friday service. And now the depiction is that it's full of flowers, Because the things that were dead somehow make its way alive because of Easter morning. And the reason things come back to life is because Jesus Christ is the victor. You may be coming in here this morning and say, why does Jesus matter? Well, this morning I'm going to try to convince you that he does. You don't have to accept it or not. I'm just going to try my very best to, to, to give you some examples of why Jesus would matter. If I was to get one shot at it, to like try to convince you that Jesus Christ matters, I would use 1 Peter 3.18. I would use it because in this one verse, there are the very, the very makeup and there's the essential elements of what you need to believe about Jesus and what you need to believe about yourself. Let's read it again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's what you need to know. So you may have a crusty old Bible at home, right? We would love for you to find 1 Peter. Go to 3.18 and we would love for you to underline it or highlight it and, and just say, this is what one pastor says is one of the most important things for me to know. And at least as you leave, you have one verse. But we, because we think that in here are the very essentials of that. I'd like to teach you four things through using this one piece of scripture. That Jesus is the victor because he died for sins. All right, And you see that 
Oh, boy. Sorry, and you see that there. He's victory because he died for sins, but he was, he's also perfect. You see that in the scriptures. So again, just so, some of the, the ideas that are underneath here is that he died for sins. He's perfect. You also see that uh, Jesus is the only one. You see this word only happening. And then lastly, I don't know why this thing is jumping on me. I'm sorry, guys. Um, this may be a long morning. If it, <laughs> whatever the last one is, believe me, it is uh, Jesus brings promise to life after death. It's not going to let you see it. Watch this. You're gonna, it's like a millisecond. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. You're just going to have to trust me. Don't worry, it's later on. So Jesus, number one, Jesus died for sins. Look at this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Again, we're not going to try to make it up. We're just going to try to draw your attention back to scriptures and just go, okay, this is the principles that you need to see. So not only is he victor because he died for sins, you actually just see, for Christ also suffered once for sins. We need to be able to grapple with these kinds of questions to in order to understand if Jesus matters or not. We believe that he does. His victory shows that his sacrifice was perfect. That his, the victory on Easter morning tells us that his sacrifice was final. And we also see one of the most important things that it would never be repeated. It's once and for all. He died for sins. He would, have to, he would never have to offer it again. It would never need to be upon completion. It was final. Remember, he says, it is finished. This is what he does. He dies for sins. His sacrifice was far better than all of the other sacrifices given. And that's why it's final. That's why it's not perpetual. It's not continual. It was once. What he was able to do is offer himself up to the Holy One in order to make a reckoning on Easter Sunday. To begin with, Jesus' suffering is different, right? Because of the extreme torment that he, um, he had. Just when you think about the excruciating way in which he died, if you were here for Easter Sunday, you understood just the graphic nature of the torturous death of Jesus Christ. We look around the city, you look around in your life, you look around in your family, and what you see is brokenness and harm and pain and addiction and death demise and depression. It just goes on and on and on. And our worlds are not that big. And yet what we see is true. There's darkness and there's pain all around us. We believe that some of the suffering and some of the pain that's in your life is because we did something to cause that pain or cause that suffering. Not all of it, but some of it. You're like, yeah, I probably deserved that one. But that's not what we have here in our passage. What did Jesus die for? Why was his pain sure? What makes Jesus' suffering different from others is because of what he died for. He died for sins. Not because of the sin that's in his life. He died for the sin that is around us. He dies for sins. There's a great debate around uh, Christian circles on whether Jesus Christ remains on the crucifix or whether it's empty. 
Um, you could have that debate with me after service, but let me at least give you one thing to consider. Like if 1 Peter 3.18 is true, that he died once for sins, that means that he is no longer on the cross. He is no longer continuing to sacrifice. He has done it once for us and we just gain the reward. And so by understanding just these two symbols and the symbolic of one over the other, this symbolism is that Jesus is always perpetually dying for your sins. But what the scriptures say is finally, he says it is finished. First Peter says it's once and for all. We have to get that deep into our heart. This is why we celebrate Easter. He's done it once, once and for all. Number two, Jesus is perfect. And so how do we see this? Glitchy? Um, oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. It's, there's something underlined. All right, so we're just going to have to do it uh, the old-fashioned way. So verse 13, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The fact is that Jesus Christ fully and completely is perfect. He is perfect and we are not. Why? Because he died for sins. He was the righteous one and we are the unrighteous. That's number two, is this idea of this great exchange. The idea that he was something and became something else on behalf of someone who did not deserve it. So let's do a little bit of a thought experiment. When I was 18 years old, someone gave me, oh, now it works. Now it works. All right, so that's what that is. Um, when I was 18 years old, um, a mentor, a discipler of mine gave me this graph and said, okay, so put yourself on the graph. You remember this? So old Terry Mahan, he would just did, this was staff training. And he was like, all right, so put yourself on a scale one to zero as far as how good of a person you think you are. Right? And so we were a bunch of 18-year-olds, smug and proud. And we're like, yeah, you know, we're not that bad. Right? And so he would set us up. He was like, all right, so who gets the perfect score? And we're like, Jesus. All right, so that's the Sunday school answer. Right? If you weren't able to get that answer correct, see me after service. We'll walk through it. All right? He was perfect. <clears throat> he was perfect. He gets, his, he gets 100. Right? He, he does more than, than passes. Okay. So then, he, again, Terry's setting us up. And he goes, all right, so who's the worst person in the world? I mean, just despicable. Not your mother-in-law. That doesn't hit. She doesn't count, right? Um, so, I mean, the most, I mean, just the worst person in the world who would, like, barely, like, just wouldn't even score. And so we would, like, give it, the, like, the, the terrible examples of history and all that stuff. And he was like, all right, all right, all right, good, 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 good. All right, so, and he would say, where are you, right? If, if this is just, poof, mass murderers, right, open graves, whatever, this is Jesus. So where would you put yourself on this? on the scale. I don't know. You have to answer it for yourself. The way the scriptures read, right, is that we're, whoever this was, right, who barely got on the spectrum, right, here's where we are. We barely get on the spectrum. The scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ was the righteous one. He was the perfect one. But the opposite is also true of all of us, that we are not. This idea of righteous 
for the unrighteous, is that you need to understand what unrighteous is. The reason we celebrate this morning, the reason that we are all hallelujah, is because at some point in our life, we recognize where we were on the scale, right? That we were barely tipping the scale, that we were even, I mean, just like, we were just so, like, just wrapped up in our own personal sin, and we came to this realization that something's wrong. Another word for sin is this idea of stain. The fact that we are stained or we're dinged or we're spoiled or we're wrong or we're bad, we're dirty, whatever you want. And so take the most beautiful white dress in the world and then take a can or or bottle of ketchup, right, and just jump on it in front of the the dress, right? You you just, it's, it's a mess. It's no longer perfect. It's no longer righteous. It's no longer pure. And some of us in here this morning, we came to a realization that we're all dinged. We're all messy. We're all stained. If you look at the cross of Christ Jesus, you understand fully and completely just how big a deal sin really is. The gory torturous death of King Jesus is a picture for you and I to understand sin. Jesus Christ could not have drowned in a sea. We wouldn't have had a picture of sin. Instead, he had to do something publicly so that all could mock and all could feel the shame of a death of a Jewish man around the year 33. But also, this cross not only just tells you where your sin should look like, it also tells you just who you are and how he values you. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So it's both the picture of the gravity of sin, but also the worth and the value of his kids, of his children of his people, of his church, his new family, his bride. And he says, I will be able to do all this for you once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is how ugly your sin is, but this is how wide my love is for you. And that's why it's called grace. It's one big, massive dump load full of gift after gift upon gift, an abundant gift for you and me. Why? Because we're down here. And he's up here and he says, I did it out of love. I did it with you in mind. Why do we get all dressed up on Easter? It's not just to hunt Easter eggs. It's because this scale should not be true. The righteous should not die for the unrighteous. The unrighteous should get its due, should be declared uh, guilty forever. And Jesus undoes that. It's the great undoing of the reality. If this is true of him, Easter says, it can be true of you. Dead things can live. The thing that was stained can be made pure. To put it in Bible terms, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have just, we've just missed the mark. And so what do you do with a shirt that's stained? What are we going to do? Jesus is not an unexpected victim. Instead, he willingly gave his life for you and me. Do you believe that? That he willingly 
died for you and me. He knew where we stood on the line. He knew our worth. He knew what we were bringing to the table, and he died for us anyway. Some of you have grown up in the deep south, right, and have attended churches where youth, where the, the, the story goes is that you had to make yourself presentable before God would accept you. That's not true. God knew our mark. He knew where we stood, and he died for us anyway. He knew we were unrighteous. He knew that we were just sinners. The great exchange is that the unrighteous became righteous, and the righteous became unrighteous. We understand that Jesus is perfect and he was without sin. And as our passage puts it, he took the iniquity for us. So there's a way to understand this idea of like the unrighteous for the righteous. The the, the fact that someone had to give their life in order for something else to live. So I don't know what you're going to have for Easter dinner right? I don't know what your mother or what your wife or what you are personally preparing to, to bring forward to this, this feast, right? But let's just assume that we're eating hamburgers because that's just easier for the analogy, all right? So I don't know if anybody who eats hamburgers for um, Easter, but we're going to go with it, right? And so what was that uh, hamburger patty before he was, it was in your mouth, it was a cow, thank you. Yeah, it was a cow, thank you. All right, and so are you putting a live, breathing, mooing cow in your mouth? No, right? It's beef. That's why we're not eating cow. We eat beef because it's already been something else. So here's what you need to understand. The righteous for the unrighteous. The only way that you, you can enjoy that burger is for something else to give up its life, life first. The only way that beef becomes beef is that a cow had to give up its life. And the same with a head of lettuce or the tomato. It had to be picked or it had to be chopped or whatever. Something was extinguishing its life in order for nutrients to come into yours. And that's the gospel message. Except for it's not cows and lettuce. It's the glory one. It's the hero It's the victor. It's the son of God. It's the second person of the Trinity. It's the word. It's the light. He's the good shepherd. And yet he willingly gives his life for us. The unrighteous for the righteous. In order to bring us to God. Not to bring us, you know, to the suburbs. Not to bring us out of a family, right, just full of divorce, not to bring us into perfect health. The reason that Jesus came to die is to take us someplace, to bring us someplace, and that place is with fellowship with God. We were apart from God. We were separated from God in both fellowship and worship, and because of what Jesus has done, he brings us into fellowship with God. And grants us access to the Holy One for all eternity. 
That's why we read 1 Peter 1.3, because we were born again to a living hope in order for us to enjoy the fellowship and the blessing of God the Father forever and ever and ever. Our passage concludes that God desires a personal relationship with you. Do you believe it? That he desires a relationship. Like he died on the cross as an example, yes, but to win the sons and the daughters for the king. He wants to have a fellowship with you. He brings us to God that he may bring us to God fully and completely. That's what he does for us. And lastly, he makes us alive. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The things that were dead are now alive. The things that looked like decay is now walking around in glorious splendor. The things that looked like sin and rejection and disdain now It was able to come in and with his arms open wide, he was put to death in the flesh, but then made alive in the spirit. That is what he is able to do. We talked a lot about apologetics last week. And they've been, we've been trying to make our very best arguments for the resurrection and this response to skepticism. Like, did Jesus really come back to life? Like, it says it, right, that he was dead, but is that really true? And so the skepticism is, is around, right? The idea that was there an empty tomb and was there really a fact that, you know, the women were the first ones to be able to walk into that. And so that was just socio, um, just politically it was, it was wrong. Or the fact that Jesus had 500 uh, witnesses in front of him. All of these evidence is like, did he really come back to life? And so all these claims are good, right? Empty tomb, that's a good thing. The idea that people that were supposed to be the four, you know, the tellers of good news were, were people who were on the lower end of the, the spectrum. Or, or three, the fact that there were so many people that were coming around and saying, yeah, really, I saw him too. But those things can also just be like, well, maybe it's the case or maybe it's not. Maybe it was just what they call a bereavement vision. But there's another fact that we think that is harder to challenge. Like, did Jesus really come back to life? And it's that you and I are here today. Why are you here? What made you show up? George Washington was an awesome general, great president. He died. We're not gathering around for him. And yet 2,000 years later, here, a random group of people were gathered here to lift up King Jesus. And it's been happening for 2,000 years. We are a force or an apologetic to be reckoned with. Why in the world? It's because someone told us about faith and encouraged us to follow Jesus. And before them, a generation before that, and a generation before that, and a generation before that, and a generation before that. 
and then a generation before that and that and that, the message continued to go forward. The fact is, on the very first generation, the very first night of the night that Jesus was both betrayed and denied and the disciples scattered, they were running scared for their life on Friday. It was dark, it was abysmal, and they were scared to death. And yet something happened on Easter morning that turned those cowards into people who would die for their faith. And no one has been able to explain that before or since. We are the greatest apologetic to the world. Why? Because it makes no sense. For the very first generation, the people that were running scared to be more than willing to tell their neighbors and their friends to trust that a dead guy came out of the grave unless it happened. We believe that it happened. And that's why we're gathered here this morning. Something amazing had to have changed. It's that the one that was dead was now walking around in perfection and glory and grace. He promises to make us alive because he truly is risen. He is risen indeed. Who's the hero of your life? He-Man, She-Ra. Political or historical references. Someone in your lineage. Or is the hero of your story? The hero, very similar to Andrew's. Who, with his own words, was able to stand up in a crowd full of people and say, I'm following him. Some of you have doubts and some of you have regrets. Some of you have hurts and some of you have pain. And you know that that pain is real and those doubts are real and the regret is real. And yet you arrive at church looking for answers. I can't tell you that your doubts can be resolved or your hurts can be fixed or your wounds can be healed. But what I can say is that there was one that was once dead and is now alive. And what he offers you is to bring you into the very presence of God this morning only by trusting in him. That's all you need to do. The one who fought for you, the one who won for you, the King Victor is King Jesus himself. Satan has been defeated, demons run scared, darkness has lost, death and hell and the grave, it's done. He says it's finished. Why? To liberate people like you and me for us to stand up and say the only reason and the only purpose that we are alive is because of him. I'm a guy. I try to work for a living. I try to work hard. There are men and women who wake up every morning who just try to put one foot in front of the other to try to make sense of this world. It makes no sense without the victory of Jesus. You just live and you die. There's got to be more. And we're telling you this morning, there is more. There's a promise for fellowship with God himself. It's a promise that's real, more real than the person that's sitting to your left and the right. That all sin and shame has been paid for, for he is the victor fully and completely. While on the cross it looked like sin and death and shame and regret had won. It looked like Pilate had won and Caesar had won and Judas had won. 
It looked like there was a reason for you to run scared and hide in the darkness. But that all changed Easter Sunday. That all changed when that sunburnt, naked, bloody man named Jesus became Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our victor. So this morning, we want you to consider trusting Jesus this morning. We would consider this Resurrection Sunday to be your day in which you came alive, alive spiritually, more alive than you are physically, because God is calling you to himself and he's telling you what he promises is that he will bring you to God this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Today is an opportunity for you to simply trust in Jesus. No more depending on your sin. No more depending on your worth. No more depending on your lineage. Just because your grandmother was a great believer in Christ does not mean that it transfers to you. And just because your father abandoned you or beat you does not mean that the Heavenly Father is not the exact opposite of that. Trust Christ this morning. Make him the hero of your story. Let's pray. And so people have been asking since New Testament times, what must I do to be saved? If you've heard a message this morning that's compelling and you're done trusting in yourself this morning and you want to just trust Jesus fully, you simply say, Jesus Christ this morning, I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust your death and your life more than I trust my death in my life. I no longer trust in my own effort because I see that I'm a zero and yet you have made me perfect. And so this morning, I trust you, King Jesus. I trust you. I trust you. Well, this morning, you've all got a connect card and while everybody's still just kind of in a mode of prayer, We'd love for you to turn over and there's just uh, some dots on the back. If you've given us your name and you want to fill, up, fill in one of those three dots at the bottom, it doesn't matter if it's the first one or the second one or the third one, and you want to have someone contact you to have a spiritual conversation, we would encourage you to do that with great boldness. If you can't wait till after the service, we're about to sing a song, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and then in the back, Bruce Colson. Daniel McIntosh will be standing there eager to talk to you about what it means to start a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. So either by filling out the card or getting up and going in the back to pray with one of these men, we pray that you do not leave here today with a question in your heart or where will I spend eternity? You've heard the greatest love story in the history of stories that he has come to fight and to win our battles for us. So King Jesus, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for your worth is amazing. And it's in your name we pray, amen.